I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. It is an interview, and this is one that I've been wanting to do for a very long time. I'm very excited. It is with an incredible woman named Alice Carbone Tench. Alice is a writer. She's a blogger. She's a podcaster. She's a mother. And she's a cook. She is one of the most fascinating women I've ever followed um, on you know, social media. And then we got to have the chance to actually interview her. Um, she has these amazing blog posts, her most recent one called Woman, Mother, Daughter, From Grief and Guilt to Compassion and Gratitude, and other blog posts like On the Passing of Time and In the Right Place at the Right Times. So obviously, just telling by those titles... You could tell that I wanted to jam out with her. She also has a really cool book called The Sex Girl. Um, so she's an author as well. Did I mention that? And if I didn't mention this already, Alice is a rock wife. She's married to Ben Montench. Yes, the Ben Montench of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I'm so excited to give you a look into Alice's beautiful brain and everything that she's doing in her life right now. And I can't wait to chat with her more. Just a little thing about the quality of the interview, the sound quality. I goofed. 
I did a goof. And uh, neither of us on either of our ends had microphones. So the audio was just through our computer and it ended up being a little echoey. Hey, it happens. That's podcasting. You live and learn. But I tell you that the quality of the interview, the quality of the conversation hopefully makes up for the subpar sound and we'll make it up to you guys one day because i'm gonna head out to la with links and um, hopefully we'll interview alice in person and continue the fabulous conversation i won't spoil it or even tell you what we talk about today but trust me you're gonna like it enjoy the show Let's do this. Okay. Yes. Alice Harone Tench. Yeah. Welcome right. to the Muses and Stuff podcast. Thank you. You know, I, that, I'm glad that you asked about the last name because I find myself sometimes pronouncing it in, a, in the American way and I hate it because I'm basically changing my last name. It's so weird. <laughs> Sometimes I introduce myself with Alice Carbone, mm-hmm. and that's not my last name. <laughs> it feels so fake. Well, I'm French, so uh, the English version of my last name is Lemieux, and the French version is Lemieux. So it depends on who, where I am, who I'm talking to. Sometimes it's Lemieux, sometimes it's Lemieux. Yeah, okay. So you know, you know the drill. I know the drill. Well, we're so excited to chat with you today. I've been um, a fan from the moment uh, I discovered your blog, and then it's just kind of grown in, grown from there. Yeah, and uh, Shanti turned me on to your book as well, and that it was really amazing. And we're both very excited to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm really, really happy to be talking to you. Thank you for asking. Oh, of course. So we like to start our interviews by going back and asking, you know, what you, you were like as a child. Were you an avid reader and a writer? Oh, oh God, as a child. That was a weird child. <laughs> um, um, you know, I wasn't really an avid reader or, or a writer. I, what I was, I, I think that I wanted to escape reality so much that I really built my own world with, you know, games. And even when I was a little older than a child, I always had this need of escaping reality. Um, so I wasn't writing, but I was out of desperation, very creative in a way. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I really wanted to be, I, I remember being, I remember, in the, in the, I don't know if we're the same age approximately, but I grew up with, um, in the 90s, with 92.0, and it was a big deal. <laughs> and I remember creating a fake 92.0. I lived in this small town up in the Alps, which is really not Beverly Hills. And I remember creating this parallel reality of 92.0 with my neighborhood, 
friends. My brother and I were Brenda and Brendan. Uh, and there was a little park across the street from us, and to me that was the, there was the, um, there was the beach, and there was a little ice cream parlor, and it was their diner. I lived in the reality for real. Like, I'm not kidding. That was, I would call my brother Brendan. Uh, so... Not a reader, but I, I definitely tried to escape somewhere else. And then I think the reading came after. Quite the imagination. Um, my little brother and I would watch old VHS tapes of New Kids on the Block, and we'd fight over who would be Donnie. <laughs> I yeah. You know, be Donnie. Whatever is creativity, I, I was ashamed of that for a long time because it wasn't anything really intellectual. And um, sometimes I talked to Ben, and uh, he was way more intellectual than I was when he was a kid. And I felt ashamed for a long time that that was my escape at the beginning, and not, I don't know, like a Moby Dick. <laughs> but, um, you know, but that I, this freedom is stopping to be ashamed of things. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that's the truth. It was 9210 and not Moby Dick when I was a kid. I definitely played 90210 as well uh, with my friends and yeah TV shows they definitely had an impact I think maybe that's our generation as well you know more being in front of the TV yeah instead of being in front of the Snapchat yeah. <laughs> kids today I don't know still don't have Snapchat happy about it I'm trying to resist yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um when you were like a preteen or a teen or anything like that, did you have posters up on your wall? Yeah. Like, yeah. Who who was up on your wall? Who were you looking at? Kurt Cobain. Ooh. And I think that that was. And um, oh my god, I still have in my childhood room. I was in Italy like a month ago. Um, James Dean. James Dean and Kurt Cobain. Oh, ever nice. Actually, Lynx just po pointed to her Kurt Cobain poster that she has on her wall right now. <laughs> I love that you still have it. I don't think, do they still have posters these days? Well, I got a poster from the documentary they recently made about him. So that's where mine came from. It's the movie poster. For Montage of Heck. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it, by the way. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. So yeah, Kurt Cobain. And uh, those are good times when we had posters on the wall. Did you grow up in a musical household? You know, that's the other thing I would like to say, yes, but not really. And I, you know, my grandfather was an opera singer. And of course he had to, you know, pay rent and food. So that wasn't his profession, but he did it. And he was really amazing. I have old records of his. Um, that that part I would say musical, but and my mom liked classical music, but I don't think that music was ever. It's I don't you know it's um I think I had a disconnect. Um, a part of I would say yes for one from one point of view because I see my mom now and how much she's here at the moment. This is what I talk about my mom. They loved music for sure. Um, I don't think, I don't remember being in a musical environment. Um, Interesting, but you, seem, you you got there somehow. Yeah, I got there somehow because music was 
you know, that's actually how I learned English. Um, I learned English listening to Nirvana. I learned about Leonard Cohen listening to Nirvana because I didn't know who Leonard Cohen was. And uh, I remember listening to Penny Royalty for the first time, and there was really no internet at that time, or I don't know, probably there was the very beginning of internet, and I didn't know who this Leonard Cohen was, so that's how I became familiar with him. I, I was lucky to find friends in those years who were into music and into that kind of music that opened for me a new world of a, a new language too. Yeah, I knew that that was I'm I'm forever grateful because I always thought that English was so beautiful and was the perfect language for rock music. There's something about the musicality of English that was really fascinating to me. And that's how I then asked my parents to go to English school. Um, that's so fascinating. Yeah. So I think it was through friends. And uh, and, I, and now, you know, the, the, the more I, I can observe my family and my parents from afar and from another point of view and with, um, with a different sentiment that is, you know, used to be shame, regret, or there, there was really no positive positive um, feeling and sentiment towards that part of my life. And now, I don't know, we're probably growing up or probably having a daughter, um, but there's so much compassion and gratitude that I can see things I didn't see before. So that's why I'm saying, no, I have my mom here. And um, she's passionate about music, music that is different from what I like, but regardless. So... Probably wasn't a little musical environment, but I was so much into my own world that I didn't notice. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the answer. I don't know. Cool. So when did you discover a passion for cooking? That was extremely, that was really, really, really recent. Uh, And by recent, I mean probably last year, (laughs) two years ago, I... You know, if, if you write, you're familiar with my with my writing, but for those who aren't, um, I I've been suffering from an eating disorder for since I was really really young, and um, and so for and I'm I'm going to recover now, but for a long time, food was absolute, food and the kitchen were absolutely my enemies. So, and I I grew up in Italy where cooking is a big part of of life and not just for nutrition purposes, but it's really a big part. My grandmother cooked. It was a fantastic cook. My mom was an amazing cook. I uh, always rejected that part of my heritage and it was through therapy. I'm, I was doing, I'm doing currently this therapy called clean language. And, um, clean language is a, is a, 
I'm actually doing this therapy with the creator of this um, discipline. Is basically they ask you questions without they. It's called clean because with questions they don't want to influence what you're about what you're going to say. So instead of asking you, um, you know, are you sad because this thing happened? They ask you, where are you sad? Um, they want you to create your own answer without contaminating the answer with a word or with a, with a, with a feeling, with an idea. So I've been doing this therapy for now two years and it changed my life. And one of the tasks that one day we were talking about pausing and about spending time just in on one task and not trying to escape whatever I was doing with something else. And I don't really remember how the kitchen came about, but I remember that she asked me, why don't you, you know, when you're feeling an onion, just for an example, I think the, actually the example was the onion. Just stay there with the onion, you know, touch it, uh, smell it, notice how the blade is cutting the onion. And, uh, and I discovered that I actually loved to cook. I discovered that I loved to put together ingredients and create something. And and it gave me also a sense of safety for the, you know, because I was making my own food, so I knew what was in the food, which is something that, especially here in the United States, it's something that really matters to me. Um, so it was kind of a coincidence, or probably not a coincidence. I don't really believe in coincidence anymore. Um, and it was amazing. It was just a discovery from cutting an onion. And and then I found out that I was pretty good at it, um, and that I liked what I ate, so I kept doing it, and um, and I started really having fun. And I'm not cooking as much as I did because the seven-month-old doesn't really leave much room for uh, extensive cooking. But yeah, that's how I discovered it. it. Was very very recently, and here with Ben. So yeah. Wow. So it's like turning something that was once like an area of real difficulty for you into something that's really positive and we really appreciate you you know being so honest and open about this kind of stuff because we can all really relate to it in one way or another and after links and I read your book I think that was one of the most like open and honest conversation that her and I had with one another and wow. it was really healing. And I don't know if you ever, I know probably, you know, when you, when you write a book, well, I can imagine that it's a very cathartic and healing experience, but did you ever have any idea that it would be affecting other people, you know, like us and opening up these dialogues and having such a healing effect on others? No, because that book, first of all, I need to tell you the truth. I was ashamed. I've been ashamed of that book for a long time after it came out. Mm -hmm. Um, and not because really what was written in it. You know, some some of it, yes. But um, I, there was something about it. I wrote it, and this is nothing secret. I wrote actually an essay, I think, about it. The title was never supposed to be The Sex Girl. And that a big, that's a big regret that I have. Uh, the title was supposed to be Beyond the River. Oh. And there's a reason why. And I, I think that I... Um, I wanted to press someone. I wanted to, I, I did it for the wrong reason and I accepted the change of title, which I think that that's why I was ashamed. I, you know, 
I know. I didn't think that it would heal because, first of all, it, it wasn't born as a book. It wasn't. It was really a diary that I was writing. And, uh, and you know, that part of in the book that says someone read it and uh, someone read it and he thought it was a book and I fell in love with him and it was a book. <laughs> it turned out to be a book. Um, but I write things so candidly in that book uh, yeah. that... I, you read it, so you know that there's, there's a paragraph when I talk about vampires, because when I was reading the book, I was really into true love. And, uh, <laughs> I felt so ashamed of that. I felt so, I thought it was so childish, um, writing about vampires. And it was actually because of Stephen X that about her writing, when I got to meet her and to be familiar with her works and to actually spend time with her. And uh, her authenticity is so disarming that was that she really helped me shift the perspective on my writing. And until I shifted the, pers- the, the, um, the perspective on my writing, I couldn't really see the effect that my writing could have. So even the book, no, it took a long time to, first of all, not be ashamed of it anymore, but also to think that, you know, maybe, maybe someone can actually see themselves in that, in those experiences in a way or another. And what makes you vulnerable is actually what is going to connect with other people. I think, regardless of what you're what what you're doing, you know, it can be a something that you cook or a song that you write or a painting or something that you teach. When you are, when you put yourself out there and you feel vulnerable, I think that in a way or another, you're going to affect people. And so probably that's what the book. I hope so. You know. Well, it's it's the bestseller, so I don't think it even went to the world. But I'm glad that it did, you know, for the few people who who bought it. And it's not for sale anymore because I got my rights back and I will put it out in the future. Um, I'm glad that it did. I'm really happy that you guys read it. How did you get into? How did you? Did you? How did you? um, How did you become familiar with the book? I think I started following you on Instagram. From Instagram, I went to your blog, and then from your blog, um, I got connected to. Oh, now I'm gonna sound like a big fan, like big a big fan girl, Alice. And then (laughs) I found (laughs) I found a podcast that you had talked on, and I just I just liked it. And I think I was in a time in my life where I needed to like figure out some things for myself. I was having some problems with managing my drinking, and I was having some issues with my own weight stuff. So it just kind of happened at like the right time but you're so much more than just the book too right like you have this amazing way of interacting with people um through your blog and now through your instagram stories and you are so relatable and you are so like sweet and stuff so um you know it's not you're not just that book either um you're a lot of things yeah. Thank you. So I just went. I just went down an Alice uh, rabbit hole, I guess. But and we're also very like we also really love music. Um, we're huge music fans. We're huge Stevie Nicks fans. We're a huge fan of Ben Mont. And so I think it all just kind of like we. Yeah. It's just it was just meant to be. 
It's just meant to be, absolutely. You know, I don't really think that things are disconnected from um, one from the other. And it would, you know, we I truly believe that we may not discover it right away, but there is some kind of a flow and some kind of a direction that things go. Um, they would have. Someone told me a long time ago, and this is a sober thing. Uh, I think that we were talking about God. I was really angry at that time, and uh, that someone told me that they see God, or however you want to call God, because that's not really the, the point of whatever you call higher power or spirit. That they saw God as a helicopter ride, in the sense that this woman went on a helicopter ride for the first time over LA, and she's from LA. She said, I, I saw L.A. for the first time from a completely different point of view. I could see things that, you know, from standing down on Sunset Boulevard, I would never see. And so there's this sense of a higher view of things that we don't see right in front of us because we can't. Mm-hmm. While you are above, you see the whole plan. In a way, um, we can't see the whole plan from here. So this is really not a, again, God or not God. And I think that there really is a bigger map that we can't see from where we stand. You know, from where you stand, I know we we're standing now. You were, you know, we're both in the room, and we can see from here to the wall. You know, that's if, you, if there's a window, probably you could have a glimpse at what's outside the window. But that's it. It's pretty limited. So. I'm really starting to live that way. There's a bigger map that we have no idea where it's going to take us. So just to go back to how we got connected, there is a connection. There is, it works in a certain way. And it's quite fascinating, actually. It kind of makes it worth keep exploring, you know. So, speaking back to, like, the 90210 days and everything, did you always picture yourself moving to California? Was that a goal of yours from childhood, or was your move sort of unexpected? Did you never really expect to leave Italy? Do you believe in that manifestation, like you manifested yourself there, or was it just so happened? Uh, no, you know, coincidences. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I believe in manifestation. Sometimes I no. I, I well, no. California wasn't a. Um, I never thought it was a possibility. Now, if you live in the Alps, in the Italian Alps, or pretty much anywhere, California is pretty cool. You know, you. I. You guys are, are from Canada. So I don't know what the influence that American TV has on people, but in Italy, um, we kind of grew up with the American dream. And California is a dream for everyone, and there's a reason why. But I I never thought it was a possibility. It's very difficult to move to the United States. And at that time, I was actually, I moved, I lived in London. I was a translator. And um, I lived in London, loved London. That's where I wanted to live. 
I knew that I would live. I, I knew that I wouldn't live in Italy. That was something that I knew from quite early. And when uh, it was really pure, I, I came. I came to California for one of those exchange programs. When I was, I believe I was uh, seventeen or sixteen. I was in Long Beach. And, you know, of course, I loved it. Who doesn't love California? You come here, you see what's around, and you fall in love, period. It's really beautiful. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. But I never thought it was a possibility. Came back, you know, finished my high school, went to college, and moved on to London. When I was in London, I got really sick with my eating disorder. And, um, you know, alcohol and drugs were starting to affect me, but not, not nearly as they did in, you know, later on. So I was really sick, and I came back to Italy. I went back to Italy to be with my parents because they medical care. And then, uh, and then from then on, things went south. Um, so... It was a very dark time when I got a job offer to be a translator for three days. I had just been accepted to a, for a master's degree in London. So I thought, I'm going to LA, do the, you know, do the interpreting gig, and then I'm going to stay there for a month or two because this school is California. And then I'm going to go back to, um, to London. And I never went back because I got offered a job and things started moving from there. I worked as a journalist for an Italian press agency and things kind of happened. But no, I wasn't, I never thought it was even remotely a possibility. Well, that's good. But it's California. California is a dream for everyone. So, of course, you say, would you want to live in California? Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a very, very unrealistic dream. It just happened, and uh, to be honest with you, I didn't like it at first. I didn't like LA at first because I came here alone. Um, I didn't know how to drive an automatic car. I really did. That part of the book is real. I didn't know how to drive an automatic car, and I cried so much the day. I will never forget that. Um, and you know, Los Angeles can be is a very lonely place if you 
don't have the right people around you. And if you don't find your tribe. Yeah, I had a friend uh, who moved from from, uh, Toronto to L.A. She was there for two years and she said that it was lonely. It can be, and if you are, if you don't have people, good people around you, because it's also very easy to find really the wrong side of town. Uh, it's a beautiful place when you discover it. It's a beautiful place full of art that people often don't know about. Um, it's, it's a really rich, very favorite place in the world, and I'm super grateful that I'm here now, but no, it wasn't a plan at all. At all. Well, Links and I have uh, never been, but because our uh, podcast network, who we've recently joined mm-hmm. with, they're out in San Francisco, and then our awesome woman, Allison, who um, is putting sponsorship into our show, she's out right in LA, so, and just through this, we've met some amazing people and so we're looking forward to when the time is right heading down there and checking it out ourselves it's beautiful you know really hit me up when you're here because there are places that are not usually the places that are advertised and uh la is a much richer city people think we would love we would love to that's such a that's so oh i'm so excited because we have well, there's much more than the Hollywood sign and Hollywood Boulevard yeah. and Venice Beach. I can tell you that. <laughs> good. It's like how Toronto's more than the CN Tower and yeah. you know Young and Bay Street. You know, I spent I spent three days. I have a friend in Toronto. Is a Christian, and uh, he I met him on a chat in Italy. Cool. And we have been. I haven't actually. I haven't talked to him in, in a long time. But he lives in Toronto. And one day, I was actually sent to Toronto for a gig. I had to. Um, it was a horror movie that I had to cover. I remember it was a very. It was an awful movie. I remember a Carousel that they would set on fire. I don't remember what the movie was, but I was in Toronto for like five days, and and I have. I don't really remember everything, but I remember. I, and, that's, and I met my friend there for the first time after years and years of virtual chat. Um, so yeah, I was only traveling for five days, so I'm not really familiar with the with well, the city. Likewise, if you ever come here, we'll show you the part of Toronto that you might not have seen before. That's a deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of um, Canada and Canadians, you mentioned before Leonard Cohen being a huge source of inspiration. Um, we'd love him. He is like just Canada's pride and joy, I would say. And actually, before I even started listening to Leonard Cohen's music, I was into his poetry. Yeah. Um, you've, you've met him, correct? Yeah. He's the reason why I'm here. Oh, okay. Well, can you tell us something that you may have learned during your time that you did speak, like spend with him? I'm sure that's no easy question to answer now that I just said it out loud. What did you learn from Leonard Cohen in a nutshell? <laughs> um, I have three things that came to mind very, very um, suddenly, and they are humility, mm. patience, and grace. These are three, three things that Leonard Cohen 
absolutely has had unfortunately um and an enormous amount of charm i i wrote an essay about this this is not private that man was charming as hell like seriously he with the day i met him the night i met him at this um listening party i will never forget and when i met him in his dressing room and i was wearing a white coat um and he I got to his coat off and he said, how are you, darling? Oh. <laughs> I am that. So, yeah, but charm is the other characteristic. But, yeah, humility, patience, and grace. Um, his manager that then became my manager for a while, whenever I would complain that my, you know, my work wasn't going anywhere, nobody wanted my book and all these um, complaints, he kept reminding me that it took Leonard 13 years to write Hallelujah, and then when he finished it, nobody cared about that song. Nobody wanted that song. Uh, it was Jeff Buckley that made that song popular. So after 13 years of writing one of the most amazing pieces of poetry ever written, but so after 13 years of writing a song, nobody wants it. And Leonard is really the the example of just hanging there, no matter what, keep doing because. He never had the acknowledgement and recognition that, in my opinion, he deserved until he was pretty old. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, what a, what a, what an example of just persevering and being humble and uh, and just keep doing it. You know. Now I've heard there was a secret. David played and it pleased the Lord but you don't really care for music do you? It goes like this the fourth, the fifth the minor fall the major lift the baffled king composing His poetry was not that. Um, to this day, I don't think he's enough recognized as a poet and as a writer. Um, so yes, those three things. Every time that I complain or that I that I ask, like you know, where when is going to happen? When is going to happen? Why does it happen to me? I remember about Leonard and grace, patience, and humility. He was a master at those three things. That's amazing. I think I told you, Alice, um, that I'm a school teacher and I, I get my students into all kinds of music that I like. And what do you teach? Um, I teach elementary school, so grades like kindergarten to grade six, depending on where they place me. Next year, I'm going to do a grade two, three split, which yeah. is like age seven and eight. Yeah. And it's French immersion. So all of the subjects but in French. 
Fantastic. But one year, uh, last year when I taught grade six, so that's 12 year olds, I had this student who played the ukulele like you wouldn't believe. And um, they learned that I really liked Leonard Cohen. And so for the school talent show, they learned Hallelujah. That's so beautiful. And I bawled like a baby (laughs) during their performance. That must have been so special. Oh, just thinking about it now. <laughs> That's so great. You're also turning them on to, you know, amazing music. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's how it started. That's something that I don't want to spill time to your questions, but no, that, not at all. that's what I'm, uh, that's what, now, especially now that I have a, a child, that's how you raise decent human beings. Um, and by really opening, opening their minds very early to that kind of, um, that kind of stimulus is, you know, I don't think that you can, you can only bring good to the world if you are open to those, to art and to music and to, um, instead of, unfortunately, what is going on right now. And there's not enough of that. There's not enough of that. And, you know, teachers are the more the most underestimated, uh, underpaid, and undervalued mm-hmm. people in this world, in my opinion. Because mm-hmm. I was lucky to have fantastic teachers who really planted seeds in my head. And then, you know, I was free to do whatever I wanted with those seeds. But they, were, they had been planted. If they don't do it, and especially here in the United States, you guys in Canada, I'm sure, are much better. I'm much better off than we are right now. It's better, but, although um, we just got somebody in Toronto who's trying to kind of mess with uh, some of our curriculum and stuff and try to set us back. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a kind of a fight going on here as well. Well, I hope you guys can win that fight because if, if you know, if, because whatever, there are future. And you know that it can be as cliche and it's naive, but they are our future. So if you don't plant good seeds in their head, how can you expect them to do something good in you know the world? What I'm, you know what? I'm so optimistic. I love what I'm seeing in the schools. The teachers are all quality, quality, quality. The students are just, like, they're so inspiring. They're inspired. They're aware. They're awake. I'm just, I'm hopeful. I'm glad to hear. I'm I'm really happy to hear. And I, you know, I'm hopeful too, even though it's really difficult to be hopeful these days. Yeah, it is. Um, so, going back a minute, back to your book and back to music. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our favorite things about the book was you sort of start every chapter with a song, and yeah. um, I think both Shanti and I when we read it, we, uh, I listened to each song that you sort of recommended for each chapter. And, uh, that was the purpose. I'm so happy to hear. Yeah, it was great. We made a playlist. Yeah. (laughs) It was wonderful. Got, you know, some favorite songs in there, heard some new songs. We were wondering, uh, about like your music experience. What are some of your most memorable concerts or, you know, music events that you've been to? You know, oddly enough, those years 
of my, you know, the farming years. And it was because of different things. I'm sure that being a an alcoholic and a drug addict didn't help my um I didn't really it was I never I didn't really go to many concerts when I was in Italy and at that age. Um until very until later on. Um well, and I will not forget that Patti Smith was my first concert, which is not a bad way to, it's not a bad way to start. Um, and then it was more the environment that I was in. And even though I was really not okay, uh, I wasn't really always present, but the environment was the, you know, the, the, the music of the 80s, and it was dark, new wave, and um, the cure. They, the, the Nick Cave and everything. It was the world I was in. It was the club. I was I was always at this club um, that was dark. It was like a maybe going back to a time machine and really go back to those years. Um, so actually, until until later on, it was later on that I started going to concerts, and I think that the most amazing experience that I had at a concert was Leonard Cohen, I must say, and I saw him here, of course, in the United States. Um, I'm thinking about... I went to some heavy metal show in Italy that that not really a spiritual experience. Um, It was more when I came here through Ben, I must say, that I was lucky, blessed, to be exposed to music in another way. So I started going to a lot of shows here. And... um, I was, uh, when I moved here, I was a journalist and I was covering some music too. So I was going to shows to cover and to write about them. But it wasn't until later that I, that a show was a transforming experience. And Nanarcon was a very transforming experience. Have you ever seen him like? Yeah, we both missed out on that opportunity, unfortunately. Lynx has seen almost everyone live. She has seen, like, name someone, she's seen them live, but we both, we both unfortunately missed, missed that. Yeah. He was a, at his age, it was a three-hour-long show. He would go down on his knees and sing to the audience like, they were, like he was singing to one person. Oh, my God, that's so That energy, that, that, he was just real. Um, I I wouldn't. A three-hour show sounds very long. I even for my favorite things. Mm-hmm. The three hours, like okay, I'm ready to go home. Not with Leonard. No. No. Not with Leonard. He's um. So yeah, that was probably the very first. I call it a spiritual experience because he was. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that. Leaking, everybody knows the captain lied. Everybody got this broken feeling, like their father or their dog just died. Everybody talking to their pockets, everybody wants a box of chocolates in the long stem road. Everybody knows. Stevie Nicks. Come on, I mean, seriously, she's well. She's something else. Yeah. <laughs> she's something else. Yes, yeah, Stevie Nicks is another. I think she's um, a spirit animal. 
It's gonna be a meme somewhere. Stevie <laughs> Nicks is my spirit animal. <laughs> I run around like a spirit in flight. Fearlessness is fearlessness. I will not forget this night. So just recently, Ben was playing for this benefit for autism with David Stills, and I saw Patti Smith again. Yeah. And you know, there's something in that woman who really, she can really connect. Yeah, she's actually my favorite uh, concert that I've ever seen as well. She's really, she's really special. There, um, I remember being a teenager and seeing her. She was probably in her 50s at that time. And this energy, and I thought that was the first time that I actually saw a woman and thought, wow, look at that woman. She has no makeup. She is no, she's not showing her body. She's not really sexy. Even though I thought that she was. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, but she's not sexy in the, and um, you know, what you think, what, what they kind of promote as sexy. Um, she was just, she was just the real deal. You know, and uh, that was my first approach. That, that's actually probably the first time that I thought, look at, you know, women can be this. Mm-hmm. You know, women don't have to be scarlets on TV or wearing shorts. And, uh, oh, no. and uh, women can be this. How cool. So, yeah, Pat is made the thing is on the very top of my list of special, inspiring people. Yeah, definitely. On stage. Real women wear pineapple shirts and overalls and cactus. What are these links? She's wearing like cact. Like she's wearing a long johns with cactuses on them in the summertime. I know. I know. She. Do you follow her on Instagram? Oh, Patty. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was amazing. just gonna ask you the same thing. Yeah, she's. Just she's, awesome. she's on. She's probably my favorite Instagram because just the way she writes reality at the end of the day is like, yeah. woman, real. <laughs> Yeah, and you learn something every time she posts something. She's she's phenomenal. She is. She is, and uh, she's very graceful. I was very I was very scared when I met her. Right? I usually announce a bench. You know, I, I'm not I don't get starstruck that often anymore. But with her, I was I was shaking, and I told Ben, "Listen, I never asked you to, but can you please can you please introduce me to her? Because it was a big deal." And I told her, you know. You were my first concert when I was 17, um, and I, I was shaking, and she was very graceful. She's, she's obviously very shy. Um, but, yeah, I think that that was – I was I was a real fan when I when I met her. Amazing. Cool. Um, so, as we're talking on this podcast, and we're just, like, so happy to have you on here, um, you mm-hmm. – 
were sort of ahead of the game. You were already on top of podcasting, I think, years ago now, because um, you actually had one of your own, which is really neat. What are some things that you learned about, because we've certainly learned so much through this two years of doing this, what are some things that you learned either about yourself or anything throughout the process of podcasting? Um, first of all, I'm really, I'm really proud of that podcast because it's, it was born from nothing, and um, I didn't really know that many people, many, many of those artists were were kind enough to just trust me and come over to my little apartment on Beachwood Drive. Um, I'm actually in the, in the process of eventually putting back online all the interviews because I take them offline. I don't know why, but uh, they're actually pretty good interviews. There were like some pretty, pretty cool interviews with great artists. So they're going to be back online soon. I oh, that's exciting. Um, because it's a shame. They were like really interesting conversations. And now I'm not, I'm, I'm not really praising my job, but some of those artists were really, what they, all of those artists, they were so generous with their time and with their stories. And it's really a shame that they are on a hard drive and not there for people to listen to. So I will put them online soon again. Um, I learned that, first of all, there's no stupid question. If you have a question, the question is not stupid. Sometimes I, would, I, I remember asking sometimes to introduce the question, I would say, I know that this might sound stupid. And someone, I don't remember who was that, they said, no question, there's no questions. There's no thing such a stupid question. So... Oh, that's all for me to remember. I did a big, I did a big interview that meant a lot to me, like a couple of weeks ago, and at the end, I was like, <laughs> "No, there's Those never questions were uh, stupid. Is that, <laughs> yeah. No, there's no such thing as stupid questions." And I can't. Thank you. Because yeah, you you keep questioning and doubting yourself, and if you have a question, that question is legit. Period. You know, okay. then it cannot be interesting to someone, but who cares? You know, if you if you have that question in mind, it means that that you need an answer, you know? So that's the one thing. And um, never to be afraid to ask people because you'll be surprised of how much people, A, want to help, and B, are interested in talking and in discussing and in discovering. So, and that I really loved the, the process of researching the artist that I was to interview, I was about to interview. I really loved it. I was doing a very thorough research, and I loved it. I learned so many things about history and uh, music and literature and movies in this country, the United States, that I didn't know through researching these artists and actually through listening to what they had to say. You know, and I'm just going through the interviews that then I, I had all this question and I could edit the file. I really too I my interviews I think got better when I stopped thinking too much about the following question. And uh, actually this is the most important thing. I had a list of questions, but then you never know where where the conversation is going to go. And perhaps you're not gonna ask all the questions that share in mind, sometimes what comes out of a conversation is surprising and it takes you places that you didn't think it would. 
Um, and that's, to me, what's amazing about having a conversation with Because in interview, is basically a conversation with, uh, you know, when you talk to your friends, you don't make a list of things that, what are you going to ask her for our coffee today? And so you never know where it goes. And that's, to me, this spontaneity, is that how you pronounce this? Spontaneity? Yeah. Of... A good podcast. Of course, have an idea of what you want to, you know, how you want to shape it, but then let go. Yeah, and ready. some of these people just kept talking to me. Um, I remember Jackson Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't as close to at that time. I just, you know, now he's he's you know my daughter's godfather, so he's oh, so cool. But at that time, I really didn't know him that well, and I realized that he wanted to talk. And so he said someone that I really remember just, he was just opening up and I stopped saying, oh my God, I have another question. Oh my God, this is going too far from where I wanted to go. And I said, why do you want to go there? Just listen. You know, you have him sitting on your couch. I'm going to rid myself of health in the shade of the freeway. Gonna pack my lunch in the morning And go to work each day And when the evening rolls around I go on home and lay my body down And when the morning light comes streaming in I get up and do it again Amen, say it again And him and also have Jeff Garland. Jeff Garland gave me this amazing interview where he just so full of things to say. And I stopped looking at this thing that I had in front of me with the 10 questions that I wanted to ask him. So, yeah, just this, there's a lot of, it's scary. It's scary because you never know about what if I don't know what to ask after that. But when you stop obsessing over your performance, which is what I was doing. The most amazing conversations can come up, and it's beautiful. Yeah, and if you're not open to that, you're going to miss out on some great discussions. Absolutely, yeah. Because if you, you know, if you're not, it's just like if you're not there when you do something, and you are in your head thinking about what am I going to do next? Just going to say that here. you're reading my mind. I was just going to say because. You know, when somebody is sitting on your couch beside you and and you're like, wow, this is actually happening, but you're so in your head, all of a sudden it's over, they're gone, yeah. and you've missed it. You weren't yeah. there. So- yeah, I missed some of them, actually. I missed a few of them because of that reason. And uh, yeah, that's a it's as, a, as a reminder, you know, as, as a lesson, but I did miss some of them. Over that reason, the self obsessing. It's hard. You have so much. Is my recording? Um, is, is it really recording properly? Uh, I like. I can't wait until after yeah. oh, yeah. I go back and listen to it and make sure that both of our voices got recorded on this thing. Did I get all my questions? And then you have to just go. You know what? Breathe. Whatever happens, happens. It's fine, yeah. and we're here. Amazing. Thanks. And then you listen back to those those conversations, and probably they're the ones that that don't necessarily follow the pattern that you had in mind are maybe the most interesting and spontaneous and and uh and creative and full of inspiration 
that was that was my experience at least, and I missed out on some of them. So, well, I'm excited to listen to them all. Yeah, when they when they come up, we're we're definitely excited to listen, and we can definitely re- relate to the you know it being independent podcasting. You know, we're not um, famous comedians or anything. And then going back to let what Leonard said, patience. You know, yeah. humility, great. You, I looked at your podcast before, besides before saying yes, but in, you know, yes, last night I was going through it because I wanted to, you know, be more familiar with your work, and that's amazing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually a huge fan of yours because it's not, um, especially because it's not something that you do full time, and and there's so much. I respect your work and those people who have just a passion. They keep and they do it so much and your podcast and your work is so rich and so inspired and so authentic that um it's a it's a huge to me that's the that's the main ingredient for and that you do i really love what you guys do i'm I'm a big fan of your section thank you that means so much that means so much yep and it's just been growing organically with time we're very proud pardon when did you guys start? Um, about a year and a half to two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been, you know, no network, nothing, just putting yeah. it out every single week because we love it. Yeah. And um, after, yeah, about a year and a half, then the network came and, you know, mm-hmm. the sponsors are starting to come and mm-hmm. the connections are happening. But it's because we've been patient and it's been the right connection. You know, yeah. we've said no to networks before because we wanted to remain. We would rather remain independent and in full creative control than to have more listeners who weren't authentic. So um, yeah. that's what I always thought. And that's why I. I wrote on my blog for a long, instead of, uh, I got so many rejections for essays and interviews in the past. I remember writing this, I interviewed one of the big, actually the number two of the health angels uh, of California um, in, um, it was probably like five, six years ago. And I was terrified. I remember I contacted his attorney because, you know, it was a big deal. And the guy had just uh, was, at that time, he was um, on trial for arson and murder. Like, it was a big thing. And it was very scary. I was going by myself to Ventura, and there were a lot of rules to respect. You really rarely interview a health angel. And he had just... Uh, left the club um, and you know this guy is one of those called, known as the, fil- the filthy few who are supposed to be those who have killed someone uh, but you know it's serious stuff if you know something about the health angel it's not just a yeah. so I just I, I don't know what I wanted but anyway I didn't interview this guy I went to I went to Ventura I went twice because the first interview was so the guy was, we were talking so much that I can't, I went back the following week and it ended up being this long interview, 17,000 word interview, very exclusive because nobody has ever interviewed these people. And I remember, I'm very proud of that work. He's online. He's a very deep interview. The guy really opens up and which by the way, they don't do with women. 
it's a no, they don't do with women. And the few things that all the things that you you know see around by health angels are with men. And I tried to, to give that interview, not even to sell that interview, because I just wanted that story to be out there to pretty much any, every publication from the New York Times to New Yorker to uh, every, the LA Times and every possible, and nobody wanted it. Wow. And uh, I ultimately published it on my blog in two uh, episodes because it's a very long story. But and then I remembered, you know what, I, I'm just going to write for myself and be authentic and write what I want to write about. And I sometimes I think it's lame just because people didn't want your work. You can just put it out yourself. And the other part is that I want the freedom to to write what I feel like writing, whether an editor tells me that it can sell or not. You know, I want to write about it and I put it out there. So there's kind of I I, I really value those who make that choice. And I'm, I'm happy for those who can sell their stuff or put their stuff out there and on the big media. But um, I'm, um, I really admire th- this kind of work. So Yeah. If you're doing it to like make yourself happy and it's a subject that interests you, I feel like only positive things can come from it anyway because you're doing it with positivity. I absolutely agree with that. I... I think that actually is the way to is the way to do things. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad, nothing bad can come from something that is done from the heart. Yeah, exactly. It may not be, it may not make you a billionaire, it may not become a bestseller, but nothing bad can come out of it. And then you're attracting the audience, I think, that you truly would want, anyways. You know, mm-hmm. an authentic yeah. audience that cares about you and what you're doing and sees your heart and you know what isn't it better to have sort of a a, maybe a smaller like in quote smaller audience that really cares than just have a number that doesn't really mean anything that that didn't really like care about what you're doing and just based on like you know the really awesome and authentic um you know videos that you're posting because you've kind of taken your your written blog into almost like video blog through your stories like it seems like you've got a like an audience I mean there's no way for us to tell on the other end and you don't have to say like you know but it seems like you've got a good audience that cares about the awesome things that you're doing and saying yeah, I mean, the, well, those stories, sometimes, sometimes I really feel like I'm ridiculous, but I'm really having fun with it. I don't, you know, I'm never, I just, I just have fun with it. And sometimes a little bit of humor. I have sometimes people who email, that write me privately saying, oh, stop complaining. Um, the other day, out of Facebook, actually wrote, you know, I'll keep following you. Stop talking about politics. Start to behave. But I'll keep following. And, you know, oh, <laughs> I seriously choose this woman wrote, behave. Wow. I'll keep following, but, you know, go and live with you. Go and be a mom. Wow. Behave. So, but never, like, recently, since I really started to write from the heart. Not that, not that I wasn't writing from the heart before, but there's something about the, the most recent work that I'm doing that is really just... I don't know. It's, I don't know how to describe it. It's not more genuine than the rest of it. But for some reason, I I've never connected like I'm connecting now with people who read me, and 
so many people email me and tell me their stories. And I'll tell, be honest with you, I don't, I don't get a cent as of now of what I write. Hopefully I'll sell a book soon. But I'm not, you know, it's not, I'm not paid. And the reward that I get when one person emails me, either from my mailing list or through the blog or through Instagram, to share this story after they read an essay or or heard something that I said. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be naive and selling your, you know, making money out of what you love is a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with it. That would be a lie if I told you that, oh, I don't care about money. It's part of it. But the reward that you get from someone sharing their, their story with you and telling you thank you for saying that, it's as equal as the money that she would make. It's, it might to me. Someone that they message me saying, oh, thank you for telling me about shingles. I went to get the vaccine. Ridiculous. It's not deep at all. But there's some kind of a reward. They said, oh, you know what? I shared about how shitty I feel. And, uh, it's a different kind of abundance than financial. You can be totally abundant yeah. in your life and it not have anything to do with typical, like, you know, financial monetary. abundance, monetary. Yeah. But you know what? Hey, like, look at all of the incredible things that you've done and when you're, where your instincts lead you and stuff. And who knows what's going to happen. But we take our message from... Leonard, we continue to be patient. We continue to put out the stuff from the heart, and you just never know. Yeah, yeah. No, many times I want to quit, and uh, anyway, yeah. I think that the only you, you, you guys will see the worst of me, Ben does. <laughs> and uh, so many times, I, I, you know, I was, I've been very angry with. Okay, I'm not doing this anymore. That's it. I'm done. Um. And then you can you keep doing it because it's what you have to do. And and today I'm really beyond grateful that I kept doing it. And I still have that voice in my head that sometimes tells me, "Yeah, you're doing it, but you know you're not making money. Yeah, you're doing it, but you're not. Um, nobody really knows you. Yeah, you're doing it, but you're not famous. That voice is always there. And I think that probably we all have that voice uh, that tells you, "Yeah, but." But you know what? Yes, but I keep doing it, and the, and the, the more I keep doing it, the other voice gets louder that tells you, keep doing it. Keep doing it. It's just for yourself. Keep doing it. You know? Keep doing it. So you have, you know, built an audience, and we're definitely part of that audience. We're curious, um, where do you hope to go next uh, is a cookbook a possibility uh i maybe you more know, video stuff or bringing back that podcast. cute face of yours yeah <laughs> more interviews um no cookbook no i don't no i don't think so mm-hmm. uh, i really like to keep cooking a something that i like to do that has nothing to do with Work. I tried to write down, I tried, and the process of writing down the recipes, and it took away all the fun that I have cooking. 
most of the stuff that I cook has no specific, like in you know, quantity. It took away. I have like fifty pages uh, of um, of the beginning of a cookbook, and first of all, I didn't enjoy writing it. And it took away the fun from cooking. So I, I really realized, no, it's not what I want to do. I'm happy to share a recipe on Instagram when something comes out good because to share it as a just as a fun thing to do, but nothing more than that. Um, I'm almost done with putting together uh, a collection of published and unpublished essays from it's a selection of from most most of them are recent. <clears throat> there are a few from the past, a few never published, a few that were part of a tentative book, uh, food memoir that it never worked. Um, so it's a collection of essays about being a woman, being a wife, being a mother, trying to be herself, to learn, you know, try to try to live without a label of being woman, wife, mother, daughter. So that's my. Because if I go back and read all my stuff, I, I can really see the, the journey. And as I was reading it, I really thought, well, that's a pretty cool journey. And I would like to see it. So, and, and then I was starting really having fun putting these essays together, re-editing or writing an introduction to all of them and remembering, when did I write this? Um, I, I'll tell you this thing, and I don't want to go too long. It, it can be boring. Hmm. Not at all. No, and don't worry. We only have one more question after this, so go ahead. It's, this, is very, this is a very cute thing that I it just happened a few days ago. I was putting together the essay, and um, yes, and one of these essays was the one that I wrote about Ben that I published. It was the for Valentine's Day. Oh, it was shit. the order to my husband. It was this beautiful essay about love. I realized. So I was thinking, you know, we just came up on our anniversary, the, the interview anniversary. We've been together since, since the interview on the podcast. And I was reading all the essays, and I realized that the week before, no, the month before interviewing Ben, I had written this essay about love, and it was called Let's Talk About Love. Mm-hmm. It's not online anymore, because I'm reacting it and I'm putting it on the book, so it's offline. And... I, in those days, I had just interviewed Mark Maron. You guys know the podcast, what, WTF, right? Okay. Uh, I had it on my, I I tried to have him on my podcast for a long time. He finally said yes. So I went to the garage where he was doing the podcast at that time. He had a beautiful, beautiful interview, Um, which, you know, will be online again. I had a crush on the guy. I had a question and I opened up and he didn't really, he's, you know, he, he, you know, he, it wasn't correspond. Uh, return. How do you say? No, not correspond, return. Anyway. And I was heartbroken. I was, I felt ashamed. I was heartbroken. And so I wrote this essay about love. I had no idea that I believe 18 days after that, this man would come to my apartment, sit down, talk to me, his name was Ben Montage, and that the following week we will go out for a date and we will be together for the rest, hopefully, of our life. Um, and I thought, how cool, like, to see things going back and realize everything had a plan. 
And in those days when I wrote about love, I was my heart was broken. I was so heartbroken and so sad and so angry. I had no idea that what was waiting for me. Yeah. You know, this guy didn't his feelings were not the same and what was waiting for me was so much better. And so that's how this collection came about. And I thought, wow, look at this. If I go back, look at what I wrote about time, you know, the passing of time. Three years before the essay that I wrote last week. And it kind of all fell, you know, into place. And um, so, yeah, that's what's ahead. It's like you now take that helicopter over everything that you've already done already and really see how everything was connected. Like taking, like just stepping out of your own life, really, and evaluating it. It's mind-blowing. And that's... So that's what's ahead. I'm I'm finishing up this and then I... Well, hopefully, I try to sell it and uh, to see if an agent is interested or, you know, hopefully, you will be so because that sounds soon. amazing. It really sounds amazing. And um, it's a damn good thing that that crush wasn't, and I just thought of the word, reciprocated. Right? Um, because look at this. He tells you, you never know. The beauty that came out of it. And then, and then you forget when you are in that moment. You know, if, you are, if you're suffering or having a hard time, you really don't care when the people tell you, you never know. I say, no. Well, you never know. Sorry, I can't talk. I just <laughs> um, but you never know. You really never know. Oh, amazing. So that's what's ahead. And then, of course, I'm going to put a, so another cookbook, a collection of essays, and I'm going to put back online the interviews. Yes. We can't yeah. wait. This is going to be amazing. Good for you. This is really exciting stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Well, one more question about love and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you make incredible meals for both your daughter and Ben. And I remember one thing you captioned was only the best for Catherine. And so you definitely show that love by creating these meals. And I was thinking that, you know, that's like a five language of love, right? Have you ever taken that test? The five love languages? No. What? Okay, so you just go online and you type in the five love languages and then you can figure out how you like to give love and how you like to receive it. And they are acts of service, which are like cooking meals for the people that you love, showing them that you love them by doing something for them. Physical touch, words of affirmation, um, gifts, and there was the fifth one can't remember what the fifth one is oh quality time spending time with somebody so I think maybe um number one for you in giving is probably acts of service I wonder what you're receiving is like if you would if you prefer to get gifts if you like acts of service words of affirmation do you know off the top of your head I know that it's very difficult to receive for me oh it's really difficult to even from people that I love, I really struggle with. When Ben gives me a gift, I I feel guilt. I feel, I don't know, it's really difficult for me to receive. Um, so I wouldn't say gifts. But maybe that's oh, why. That uh, oh my God, this is, the most, this is one of the most difficult questions that I've ever been asked. <laughs> what are the, where are the options? Um, so gifts, quality time, acts of service, physical touch, and words of affirmation. Access is probably would be the 
first one. Um, so that would be like doing the dishes or building a yeah. chair or. Yeah, I would be, that would probably be the first one, even though it makes me feel guilty as well. <laughs> but uh, that, um, yeah, when you walk down the dishes or when my mom, my mom, my mom has been here for a month to help us and to put it in. And she's, you know, she's been helping me and I find it so difficult to accept the help. So I would say that that's the act of service. Yeah. Acts of service are the the main one. Um, physical touch is tricky. And uh, probably words of affirmation, even though God, it's so hard for me to receive. Now you make me. Now you. Now you make me think about. I struggle to receive. Hmm. Yes. Maybe quality time. Quality time it, spent. Quality time, because it's not. It's quality time would be the other one. Yeah. Quality time, I don't feel guilty about. Yeah. <laughs> quality time, I I easily accept and and enjoy and embrace. Yes. That's probably the, the one that makes me feel less guilty of, of all. I'm going to send but you the link, and you can do it, and just let us know where you rank, just for fun. I will. Not that we'll post it or anything, but just for, like, just... No, absolutely, I absolutely will. For your own thing. Because now you really... You might surprise yourself. That. You it's, might surprise yourself with what you actually, like, want or something. Yeah. Anyways, um... Yeah. Send me the link, and I'll keep you posted on that. Cool. Uh, so... One last question. Yeah. You you guys do so much for others, and we were wondering, what do you do to spoil yourself? Self-care. Mm. Massage. Yeah. That I haven't been able to have because of the shingles, but we do have an amazing girl that comes home once a week for a massage. Um... That and, uh, amazing. Once, once and good food. massage and good food. I must say that those are the two things that we we um we treat ourselves with good food and uh, and that kind of relaxation. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I like massages. <laughs> Alice, thank you so Alice, much. Alice, thank you. I loved it. It was really amazing. You guys are I love what you do. Now I'm a even more um, big fan, bigger fan of yours. Oh, thank you so much. Good. It's so nice to just get fired up when you talk to somebody, and you know we feel inspired, and we hope that you feel inspired. And it's just about continuing to support one another to just keep putting out love. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're putting out love. So thank yeah, you. And also, you know what? I don't want to sound like a cheap feminist, but Especially with women, I never, I, I, um, in the past when I was younger, I always had a comp, like um, it was always competition with women, and uh, I, I need to say, since I got sober, honestly, my relationship with women changed radically, and supporting women and just being a team with women is, if just women would understand that, how powerful it is yeah. to. Support other women and to be a team with other women and to enjoy things with other women, we might be, we will be much more powerful. Absolutely. So it's really an honor and a pleasure to be here with you and, uh, and support other women. Yeah. So 
at the cost of sounding like a cheap feminist, I don't care. I believe that. So it's an honor to be here with you guys. I don't care either, and we feel the exact same way. So thank you so much for your time. It has been a definite highlight, you know, for me. And, uh, and we hope you feel I'm gonna rid myself of health in the shade of the freeway. Gonna pack my lunch in the morning and go to work each day. friends, this is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read Podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.